So I heard something really, will you give me like permission to rant for 90 seconds about something? Um, I thought that we had hit an all-time low when, I'm going to regret this, but I don't care. I, I always say things I regret. Um, I thought we hit an all-time low this, over the last couple of years when stores started to open up at like 6 o'clock on Thanksgiving, or I guess what will soon be called Black Friday Eve. Um, sorry. But I actually heard this ad on the radio. Has it, have any of you, did any of you hear the ad that they referred to it as Thanksgiving? Oh, it just made my stomach hurt. Um, yeah, so all the next thing we know, we're, we're going to be celebrating Thanksgiving with one another. And I was like, man, Christians want to engage in culture wars. There's a battle to fight, right? Oh, man. Um, I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. How was it overall? Anybody have a really, really good Thanksgiving? Anybody have a horrible Thanksgiving? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, my sister, of course. <laughs> she was sick. That's why it wasn't my fault. Um, so we're shifting gears, all right? We're shifting from Thanksgiving and Black Friday Eve and Thanksgiving. And, okay, last thing. Wasn't last Sunday beautiful, for those of you that were here? That was one of my favorite times with a group of people ever in my life. And uh, so make sure you come next Thanksgiving, for those of you that missed it, because it was, it was really rich. We're, uh, we're shifting now. Our focus. I did not grow up in a church that did anything about Advent. I didn't know what it meant. Um, but I'm learning a little bit about it, and I think it's rich, and I think it's important. And I thought, you know what? Over the next, what would it be, four Sundays, we're going to jump in to this tradition and this stream that the church has been a part of for the last, what, 2,000 years, give or take. And they call it Advent. And for those of you that are not familiar with what Advent is, it, the term Advent comes from the Latin term Adventus, which means the arrival or the coming. And I don't need to tell you whose arrival or whose coming it is. But there's usually four general themes that go along with Advent. And it starts with hope. And that's what we're going to look at today. And then it moves, I believe, to peace and then joy and then to love and the incarnation. And those are never bad things to talk about. Are they? Um, I don't know about you, but I don't have like a full hope meter. There's room for more hope in my life. And I'm looking for Jesus to, yeah, instill more hope in me. And this morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. I have some of it up in front, and some of it I just have in here. Feel free to look along with me. But we're going to jump into the world for a few minutes of a 13-year-old girl. She might have been 14. She might have even been 15. Probably not much older than that. But we're going to talk for a minute about hope. We're going to talk about how hope fuels courage. And we're going to talk about God stirring things in our hearts in a way that will actually do something maybe crazy with our lives. Let's pray. God, you are the God of hope. 
And I have a feeling that we don't fully know what that word really means and, and all that's loaded in it, but may we experience some of that this morning. For those of us that have maybe been discouraged, would you encourage us? For those of us that have, haven't felt much hope, would you breathe rays of hope and life and light into our hearts? Because there are challenging things going on in all of our lives to different degrees. And I ask that this morning we would sense you inviting us into this new adventure filled with hope and new vision and expectation anticipation. So Holy Spirit, would you meet each one of us where we're at as we talk through the story of this brave, bold, crazy, revolutionary 13 or 14 year old girl whose yes to you literally changed the world. Through kingdom's sake we pray. Amen. I'm in Luke chapter 1. If anybody wants to look there with me, if not, you can just listen to me read. And a portion of it will be up here for you in a few minutes, but not just yet. Luke chapter 1. And we're going to start... In chapter 26. So Luke chapter 1, verse 26. I might have just said chapter 26. I didn't mean that. Luke chapter 1, 26. When Elizabeth, who was the mother of John the Baptist, was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee. A tiny little kind of podunk town. Kind of like Madeira, if any of you have been there. Where I spent Thanksgiving. Um... To a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one. The Lord is with you. She was confused. Uh, doesn't feel that way. <laughs> what do you mean by that? She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. And then Mary, although I'm sure she was inspired, still confused, asks a very practical question. How will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? And the angel says, that's a good question. The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's Son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant because nothing is impossible for God. Now, before we read verse 38 of Mary's response, can I take a few minutes and tell you what would have gone through her mind upon hearing this invitation? Now, Mary was engaged, but she was not married. 
Joseph would have been considered her husband, but obviously they had not had, as my translation calls it, sexual relations. So the way this works is when they were engaged, we have a, had an engagement here recently in a family. And it's a pretty beautiful thing. Um, can I tell who it is? Or should I save it for the family? To... So you probably all know that, uh, that Marie Fry and her boyfriend Tim are engaged now. So I hope it's okay that I just said that. <laughs> but um, so Marie is engaged. And there was a little engagement get-together recently. And a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement. It's kind of like this promise that hasn't been totally delivered upon. But if you've been engaged before, you know that feeling of anticipation and, and delight and excitement. The difference between Mary and Joseph and Marie and Tim is that Mary and Joseph, they were basically considered husband and wife legally, although they had not had the wedding ceremony and consummated their marriage. Do you see how this gets a little tricky for Mary when this angel says, you will conceive before your wedding ceremony? Now, we know some of the story. We know that she's basically risking putting herself to shame, her family to shame. We understand some of that, but I've been digging in, into this a little bit, and I realized that this rabbit hole goes quite deep. Really, what Mary was signing up for was about to rip, as one author said, rip the seams of her inner world apart. Have you ever heard of a, a law called the, the bitter waters? Have any of you heard of that um, ceremony, I guess you could call it? So here's the thing. Because Mary and Joseph were husband and wife, Mary coming forward as pregnant, she would not be considered a fornicator she would be considered an adulteress. Now, I don't know if you've read through the Old Testament, but they did not take well to adultery in the Old Testament. Basically, in Deuteronomy, it says that an adulteress that's found out is to be stoned to death, and an adulterer as well. Mary was very aware of that. Now, things got a little muddy when the person that had been accused of committing adultery did not confess or did not, you know, I guess, own up to it because they realized it's complicated. Was there a violation? Was it against this woman's will? Did something else happen? It, I don't think they really had a frame for the Holy Spirit did it. But there were all these different categories of, well, what about, and what if it's this, and what if it's this, and what if it's this? So they had ways of finding out. And so what they would do is they would take this woman into Jerusalem, in front of everybody, basically. And they would do their best to interrogate her and get a confession out of her. It would include stripping some of her clothes off, pulling her hair down. It would include, and here's this thing called the, the law of the bitter waters. This is what they would do. The priest would take some glass or some kind of cup full of the holy water, dust, and ink from a curse the priest had written. Sounds like a pretty tasty concoction, right? And the priest would profess this curse over the woman if she is found guilty. And the curse had something to do with her abdomen swelling and shame coming upon her and her entire family and that the baby would be miscarried. 
that's pretty gnarly, isn't it? And we're like, oh, that's, that's beautiful. Scary stuff. All of this is in the back of Mary's mind as this angel comes to her and says, hey, this is what we're thinking. Guess what? You're chosen to conceive of the Son of God without the involvement of a man. Are you up for it? How many of you would need to think about it a little bit? Ladies, guys, you're like, Women, you're like, seriously, Jesus? <laughs> so have that in your mind. And not only that, but Joseph, actually, I believe, was almost potentially legally required to divorce her on the grounds of her adultery. So Joseph had a choice to make, too, didn't he? And she knew that. She would bring shame upon her family, upon her whole entire village, if she were to sign up for this and say yes to basically becoming pregnant with the Holy Spirit's child before she consummates her marriage on her wedding day. Now with all that in mind, let's read her response. Luke chapter 1, 38. Then Mary said, are you kidding me? I'm out. She said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. She basically says, I'm in. It's going to be crazy. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. My world is going to get turned upside down. But I'm in. Let's do this. Now, I don't know about you, but it kind of makes me wonder why on earth Mary would agree to something like that. What would be going on in her mind and her heart to put all of that, literally to put her life at risk, for the sake of this invitation the angel had presented her. And this is where it comes back around to our idea of hope, because I believe that really, when there's something that we're hopeful for, it stirs up courage in us that we can't find anywhere else. Have you ever experienced that? There's something that this hope wells up inside of you and causes you to do things that you wouldn't normally find yourself doing. You're like, whoa, where did that come from? Who, who was that? What was that all about? Now, what was going on in Mary's mind and heart that would actually stir her to be willing to sign up for her whole world to be ripped apart at the seams? To go into that, we need to talk for a few minutes about the background and the times that she lived in. Are you guys familiar with this man? I'm sure you've read his story, Herod the Great. You've seen a little bit about him in Luke chapter 1 and 2 and in the beginning of Matthew. Do you know anything about this gentleman, Herod? Herod was the one that built the temple. He restored the temple, and so he won favor with all the Jews because he made this beautiful, beautiful temple. But he also filled the land with pagan shrines. He basically made places of worship for anybody that wanted a place to worship. He was the stand-in king of the Jews hired by Rome to basically, he's kind of like this puppet king. The Roman Empire said, hey, you take care of these Jewish people because we don't want to deal with them. All we want is to tax them. And so Herod would tax them like crazy. This guy was a piece of work, Herod. He wasn't a Jew. He was an, uh, not an Edomite, some Edomean, something like that, some kind of 
um, off the culture from, from the Jews, and yet he's supposed to be the king of the Jews. He had literally actually even assassinated people in his own family for the sake of power and protecting his throne. And you know later on in the story, he's the one that issues the decree to have every male child from two years old and younger wiped away. This guy is a piece of work. So Herod is in the picture on the throne in one sense. And then on the other side, so we have Herod, and then on the other side we have this, this gentleman named Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus was the adopted son, the new emperor, adopted by Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar, during his reign, there was civil war all throughout the Roman Empire. And Caesar Augustus came in, and he ended the civil war and brought this thing called the Pax Romana. You've heard of that? The, the Roman peace, the era of peace, this huge shift in, in Roman society, Roman civilization. What's interesting is some of the language they would use about Caesar Augustus. Caesar, Julius Caesar, when he died, they declared him to be a god. The Roman civilization declared him to be a god. So what does that make Caesar Augustus? The son of God. The bringer of peace to the world. And do you know what they called that reality when they brought peace, when Caesar Augustus came in and brought peace? They called the news of that this thing called the euangelion, which we translate gospel, which we also translate good news. Interesting, through Caesar Augustus, there's this person on the throne who's the son of God, who brings peace to the world, and there's good news about his reign. Now, it's a loaded, loaded political situation. And Mary has seen nothing but oppression and nothing but taxation, and you can imagine kind of what she's living under, Herod and under Caesar Augustus. Now, let me ask you something. How many of you are like me? When you picture an, uh, an image of Mary or you maybe pictures you've seen growing up, what do you kind of picture? Does anybody else picture like kind of the somber just the, the very quiet, contemplative, peaceful, um, kind of off in the corner, right? A little bit of shadow casting over her face, not too much to say. Let's look at the words of Mary and this hope that was instilled in her in light of what we just said about Caesar Augustus and Herod the Great. This is Luke chapter 1. Is that okay? Can you read that all right? Mary goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And the funny thing is that as soon as she walks in, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, in her womb, starts leaping for joy. And Elizabeth says something like, wow, you've, you've got something cool going on there. God is at work in your heart and your life. And Mary just kind of erupts in this song. Now, we need to understand this song in light of what we just said about Caesar Augustus and about Herod the Great, because otherwise it doesn't make much sense to us. So starting in verse 46, I believe, it says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and his descendants forever. Now, question for you. Is that a cute, quaint, contemplative prayer that you pray off in the corner of a quiet time? Or is this a rally cry that there's a new inbreaking of the Spirit of God into the world and that the powers that be are no longer going to be the powers? She's starting a revolution. This idea of the king coming to earth. Think about what the angel told her. Think about the language. Did you hear some similarities? Do you think it's just coincidence that the angel says to her, your child, the one you will give birth to, will be the son of God. He will have a kingdom that will reign forever and ever. And this is the good news that I am sent to bring you. Wow, what a coincidence. We've heard that language before. This was subversive. I, I had this thought last night. We understand, right, that one of the reasons Jesus was crucified was because he basically got underneath and in the belly of the empire of the beast, and he broke it apart from the inside out. He was a revolutionary. He was a radical. He was subversive. You know what hit me last night? Is it possible that he learned a lot of that from his mother? Do you think that God knew what kind of woman Mary needed to be to give birth to the kind of person that Jesus needed to be? I wanted to share this quote real quick from G.K. Chesterton. And I know that's super hard to read, but... He said, Hope is the power of being cheerful in circumstances that we know to be desperate. And I think about that in light of Mary. Because Mary had this sense that there was a new inbreaking of the Spirit of God and the oppression and the things that they had faced would not be that way much longer. There was a revolution on the horizon. There was hope rising in her hearts that things would not be the same. That this crazy guy Herod would not be in power much longer, and even Caesar Augustus would not be in power much longer. There was a hope stirring in her that called her to be a woman of courage. Um... I thought this was interesting real quick, and then we'll kind of bring it around to us. But you know that verse that says, and Mary pondered, treasured, and pondered all these things in her heart? How many of you, for you, that, that image, that language kind of reinforces this idea of Mary off in the corner having a quiet time while everybody else is off partying, and she's kind of this introverted, shy, like she's over there just, leave me alone, I'm, doing my, I'm having my thinking time. That's kind of the image we get of Mary. But the Hebraic, the Hebrew understanding of ponder, this is what it literally meant. It meant to take something, mull it over in your mind in order to formulate it and express what God is up to in the world. And that's what Mary's doing. She's saying, wait a minute. God is saying this. God is doing this. And now Elizabeth is, is pregnant. 
there's all these things going, wait a minute, God is up to something. There's a stirring, there's a movement, there's, there's something going on here that's a lot bigger than me. And she didn't go just sit in a corner and kind of sit on it and put it in her journal. And she's like, oh, what a good quiet time I had. I met with an angel today. She literally was given a deposit of the news that this new king would come and change the world and bring freedom. Yeah, buddy. Trash truck. Those are Nathan's new words, trash truck. He's going to be a waste management engineer, I think, when he grows up. He's going to participate in God's work of bringing cleanliness to the planet. Aren't you? Yeah. I know, bud. There's something about Saturday nights. The last time I remember looking at my clock, it was 2 in the morning, and he was up still partying. Will you guys pray for us on Saturday nights that our baby would sleep? Because it was bad. It was really bad. Sarah probably got two and a half, three hours of sleep last night, maybe. I probably got four. Um, I don't know what's going on there, but every Saturday night, dude just decides, hey, let's have fun tonight. Let's scream at the top of our lungs and make sure that the neighbors know I'm here and that I'm healthy. But I digress. So, I don't know about you, but all these things, and, and there's a lot more that we could say, but isn't it interesting, doesn't it kind of reframe our story of Mary and what she was signing up for and really what's going on there? She's literally signing up for something that was going to cost her everything, but she knew that it was worth it because the hope and healing that God was going to birth through her life. And that's where I wanted to take us this morning is, I mean, there's a lot more we could say about the historical side of it. But really, I'll be honest with you, I've been kind of going back and forth between moments of excitement and inspiration, and then just feeling really discouraged, and I don't even know why. It's just kind of like, I just feel blah, just some moments of feeling really uninspired. And I'm not sure if there's anyone else in here that you just feel like you could use a little re-infusion of hope. Kind of some perspective that things are going to be okay, that God's with you, that you kind of need someone, maybe it's not an angel like Mary experienced, but someone to just show up and put their hand on your shoulder and say, hey, you know what, favored one, the Lord is with you. And your first response might be confusion. Like, uh, it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't necessarily seem like that. And then to have the courage to say, well, tell me more about that. Tell me exactly what do you mean? How is this going to look? I think it's interesting. Most of the passages of Scripture that talk about courage and they talk about hope, they talk about them together. Think about Hebrews 11 for a minute. Remember how Hebrews 11 is the whole list of, it's the, describes the cloud of witnesses and all the people, all the heroes of the faith and the things they've done for God. And the very first verse in Hebrews 11 talks about hope talks about a hope that does not disappoint. And I think it was that hope that anchored them to the decisions they would have to make when things got really hard. And I don't know what you guys are facing right now individually, and I, I know that God's stirring some things in us corporately. I know that there's some things on my heart that I would love to see what this church could be. I know that last Sunday was kind of this picture of a new way to do community. 
Like, there was just such a richness, such a weightiness, and yet such a joy all at the same time. And my question is, Holy Spirit, how do we do more of that? I want more of that, and I don't know what it's going to look like necessarily. But there are things stirring in us collectively. I believe there's things that God wants to conceive in us as a group of people that will bring hope and healing to those around us. And I think there's things stirring in you as an individual. Ways that God wants to bring hope and healing through you. Things that God wants to birth out of you. I know those things are stirring in me. I don't know what they're going to look like. I don't know what it's going to cost me. I don't know what it's going to mean for this church, for my family, for my health. But I know that it'll be good, and I know it'll be worthwhile, and so I hope that I will have the courage to engage it. What about you? And I also sense that some people are just feeling kind of discouraged, a little deflated lately. You might not even be able to explain it, but you're just feeling kind of just, uh, like, like there's something that's kind of pushing you back into your seat when you try to get up. Like your heart's just kind of like, uh, I wish I had some hope, but I don't even remember what that feels like. Remember, you know when you're sick? Remember how when you're sick and you forget what it feels like to feel well? Isn't that such a bummer? Mike's like, yeah, dude. (laughs) Glad to see you feeling better, my man. But I think that's sometimes what happens with us with hope. It's just like we get so caught up in just kind of trying to put one foot in front of the other, we forget what it feels like to be infused with this ray of hope that literally energizes every step of our day and every decision that we make. And could God have that for us just around the corner? Can I ask real quick, would you put your hand up if you've been feeling discouraged and you couldn't really articulate why, but you just know that there's something kind of just pushing you back? Will you, just real quick, who's, wow. Interesting, how huh? you guys look around? Yeah. Hey, I'd have my hand up. How many of you feel like maybe that's true for you, but on the other side, you feel there's something stirring, that God is inviting you, that God wants to conceive something in you, God wants to give birth to something, and you're like, uh, it's scary, and it's unknown, and I don't know what it's going to look like, but it feels good, and I'm starting to feel full. It's almost the, One of the words that I had for this morning came from a, one of my favorite songs, Christmas songs, and it's, let every heart prepare him room. And I feel like that's one of the words that the Lord has for us this morning is over the next month, what does it look like for us as a church and as individuals to prepare him room for what God wants to do in our hearts in this next season? So some of you might feel like there's just something going on in you that God's preparing room for something. In a minute or two, we're going to pray for one another because that's really why we come together is to say, Jesus, will you come and meet us in that? And so that's what we're going to do. I wanted to show you one passage of Scripture that I want us to hold on to. And then I need to open something up. Will you just soak this in for a minute? Romans 15, 13. Soak that in and make that your prayer for us and your prayer for yourself. But I just wanted to, that's just what's on my heart, is I feel like God wants us to kind of come together and just encourage one another, to pray for a a revitalizing, a renewing, a restored deposit of hope. And I want to put a couple other things out there real quick before we do that for us to be praying about as a church, as a community. Um, So speaking of God coming and giving invitations, and and you'll get to hear more detail about this later, but Greg, um, stop me if I start to say too much. Um, But one of the things you can be praying for, for our community, 
is that God would bring us a new bookkeeper, administrator, someone to do payroll and um, manage the books and everything that, that Greg Eger has been doing for us for the last, what, almost two years as a volunteer and being a pastor in this community on the side. Um, I better not say too much because I'm going to start getting emotional. But um, we need to pray that God would bring the right person. We'll never have somebody that would fill Greg's shoes in the same way, but somebody that would step up and that can help us with the books and payroll and things like that, all the behind-the-scenes things that help this thing going. Um, Greg and Kathy, in a nutshell, have, have been invited by the Holy Spirit to engage this new adventure that has a lot that it's requiring of them, but it has to do with, what, six months at least? Can I say at least that, where you guys are thinking about going? Um, they feel a stirring in their hearts to go to Ireland for a while and kind of create some sacred space to see what God would have for them in the next season of their lives. And they're leaving in a week. No, I'm totally just kidding. Um, they're, I hope they aren't leaving for another like year or two. But they'll have a chance to share more about that. But that's something that, that I would like us to pray for as a church. That's a stirring. It's an opportunity for us as a community to engage what God would take us into because God won't ever lead them somewhere without looking out for us as well. We've seen that happen too many times. And so that's something you could be praying for us. And hey, by the way, if you know QuickBooks, come talk to me. But that's not the main reason I'm saying that is because there's a need and an opportunity there. Another thing that we would love is for a worship pastor, someone to actually come and, and help kind of guide and develop all the musical talent that we have in this group. Isn't it amazing? I mean, we have people like Oren, we have Brett and Taylor, we have Bree, we have Beth, we have, yeah, I'm excited to have Angela up here. We have all these musicians, all these people with a the heart for worship. And my prayer is that we would find a worship pastor that can help kind of bring everybody together and really channel all that talent and all that potential so that we can really have a rich and beautiful worship culture here at Coastlands. It's developing, isn't it? Can you start to feel it? We're getting some new traction in the worship realm. And I feel like there's a next place, next layer that God wants to take us into with that. Um, and last thing I want to say is I feel a stirring as well that in 2016, God's going to start doing some things in regards to youth. That we won't have to keep the youth prisoner in here um, during the whole service. As much as we like having them in here, that there will be some, some new ways to engage them and create community for the youth that's also Coastlands. So those are some things that you can be praying that God's stirring in my heart for this church and I appreciate you praying and, and kind of carrying that with me in your heart and asking what God would say about that. But now I think it's really important for us to go back and say, Jesus, in this season of hope, you are the God of hope. So would you fill us with that hope? And so 